0: Yeah. Uh, you know, again, saying that the that the United States streets are full of white supremacists, no serious person could believe that. I mean, you can just walk outside and you see that that's not true. But they say it. Do they really believe that? I I don't know. Maybe, maybe they do.
1: I I think I think some do, some don't. And I think that the ones that that do are often not political animals themselves. They're simple people. Like I don't mean simple in terms of intelligence. I mean yeah. simple simple in the sense that they. Are not journalists they don't really care they're getting on with their life right they've got a family to feed yeah. they've got hobbies and interests but right they, they see these massive headlines and these massive 24 7 news coverage of things like george floyd and mm. they believe it they believe that police are out in the streets of america massac- massacring innocent black people yeah,
0: yeah i i still am not sure i mean sure some of them they, they must. But a lot of them, I think, are grandstanding, right? Or what, what some call virtue signaling. But I think grandstanding is a better term. It's really a kind of expressive act. It's not a belief in a proposition like X percentage of blacks versus whites are killed by cops. They never cite statistics, right? They play these videos on a roll you know, over and over again, and then they scream slogans and talk about defunding the police. This is not an argument or an appeal to evidence. It's a kind of religious sloganeering and so you know in other words i think what's happening is they're supposed to one-up the next person so if you say uh i don't know racism is kind of a problem or something then the next person gets rewarded by saying oh no racism is systemic and then the next person says no it's, it's built into the the foundation racism is the whole point right like so the 1619 project for the new york times actually claimed to say you know crazily enough look, the whole point of the United States was to subjugate these people, raise the point. And it's like, I, nobody could actually believe that, or nobody who looked at the evidence or read the history could seriously believe that, but it's a kind of performative or expressive act. You're saying that to like one-up the other journalists and show your true left-wing credentials. That's going to get you invited to the party. The person who at the press conference asks not a kind of impartial pre, uh, question about president trump but says isn't this policy racist isn't this policy whatever that's the person who gets the applause right that's the person who gets the award so do they believe it Mm, maybe a little bit but it's a kind of performative act i think
1: yeah i think that is a great point and maybe in that performative act is that they are they are playing a character which means that yeah that it is a sort of a uh, two-dimensional character because it's it is performative and therefore they're not engaging in this content and they're willingly choosing to not engage it, engage with it and critically think about it.
0: Yeah. Look, the best example of this is um, we may have talked about this before, but, you know, as soon as the BLM thing, you know, really researched after the George Floyd case, you know, immediately that week, actually, there had been a series of cases that were planted in the media. There was another guy named Ahmad Arbery, and normally I don't pay attention to these things because, you know, police shoot people. They shoot Asians and whites and blacks, and almost every time it's an actual criminal who's violently attacking them, and once in a while you do get a bad cop, you know, and there's no doubt, and we all say, yep, prosecute that cop. That's that's normal. That happens in every country, but this summer there was a series of cases and it was like the press was, the media was really trying to lay something on us, like to lay the groundwork for some kind of movement. Because there's another case, Ahmaud Arbery, just a few weeks before George Floyd. And, you know, they showed a picture of him in high school in a tuxedo. That's the picture all of us take because a photographer puts us in that tuxedo. And, you know, they portrayed him as this innocent honors student and just gunned down randomly for no reason. And then it turns out, you know, through the weeks, all, all this footage comes around. He's breaking into houses, he has a long record, he's on drugs, he's got all these issues, you know, whether or not the shooting is justified, whatever, but but all these cases end up being really complicated, and even the George Floyd case was, and yet all of them are presented in such a way they're packaged together in order to drum up rage and to create the false impression that that this is really a a problem, you know, this is a thing we need to get out in the streets about. And the second that people came out with statistics and said, look, you know, maybe this is a problem, but let's, let's quantify it. Let's see, like, how often does this happen, that police shoot Asians or whites or blacks or whatever, and how often are they armed or unarmed? Well, it turns out the U.S. government keeps meticulous statistics about this, and it's right there on the FBI's website. You can find it. Any journalist can, and it turns out not only is it extremely rare for an unarmed black person to be shot, even when they are acting aggressively. It's very rare. But we have statistics, and every year for the last 20 years, it's just gone down to the point where it almost doesn't exist. And it's reasonably proportional. The best predictor of whether you're about to be shot by the police is what the background crime rate is for your specific group. So it turns out Asians almost never get shot by the police, armed or unarmed, and that's because they commit very low rates of crime. But when these kinds of arguments or statistics emerged right after the Floyd death, what did YouTube do? They deleted accounts that presented those statistics. Uh, what did Google do? They deranked and otherwise tried to dismiss any arguments, including mainstream ones from the Wall Street Journal and others. You know, sort of saying, look, this it actually just turns out, you know, maybe police racism happens sometimes and it's bad, but it's simply not a systemic problem and the problem to the extent that it exists has been just getting better and better every year. So why would journalists and big tech try to hide that story? And it's clear they have an alternative alternative mission that they're trying to accomplish by drumming this up.
1: And also with specifically with George Floyd is that I often say about this it's not what the media reports it's about what they don't report and right. if they don't report the full picture then yep. the public is not getting the truth and we take George Floyd now this is a man uh, who essentially has been hailed yep. as a martyr he right. has he's the the new Martin Luther King of the United States and there are murals up over the country he got a national right. funeral if I'm correct. Yep. Okay, and now this is a man who, in 2007, was convicted for armed robbery. Now, in that armed robbery, he and I believe it was three others, I'll check that, three others, uh, forced open a door and George Floyd held a gun to the pregnant woman's belly who opened the door.
0: That's right.
1: Now... Does this have anything to do with him being, let's assume, right, the media narrative is that this man was executed in daylight by a cop, right. by a ra- deeply racist cop who reflected a systemic racism in America that needs to be fixed ASAP. But by leaving out something as critical as that to give deep insight into the character of this person, it's not right. the role of the journalist here to say, well, he was a, a lowlife person drug addict and criminal who held a gun to a pregnant woman's stomach in a home invasion it's not to say therefore it was justified of course it is not it's a totally separate argument the truth needs to be looked at through multiple lenses so we can develop a broad picture of what that is now by leaving yep. that by leaving that out intentionally i would argue it helped that movement tremendously they they created him right as the martyr.
0: Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, we all know in everyday life we can lie by omission or commission and lying by omission is every bit as morally wrong as lying by commission. I mean, so I can just fabricate a story or I can leave out the most important parts of of a story to contextualize it and it's it's just as bad or worse. I mean, so in this case, like you want to know, well, wait, why did that cop have his knee on the guy's neck? I, I actually haven't watched the video. I've just heard the descriptions and, you know, he probably did go too far. I haven't watched it. I, I'll i just assume he did, you know, and there's a little bit of cruelty there in the end. I, I don't know, but but um, assume that's true because, you know, if that happens. Well, why is it true? And it turns out like, well, it took the British media, not the American media to ask what was the context And it turns out a British tabloid released the whole videotape, which there was already evidence of no journalist in America wanted to touch that. They didn't want to know what caused that to, to occur. And and as it turns out, we've got a slow drip of information. One, he almost certainly died of a drug overdose. Uh, That's according to the coroner's report. He had something like three times the lethal dose of a particular drug in his system. Two, a long police and violent police record. And he was called, the police were called for a reason. And when the police come in and they pull up someone's name or or they know who the person was, which apparently they did in this case, well, they take that into account, right? That if If you're an old woman who's there for a parking violation, they're probably not going to put their knee on your neck. But if you have a long, violent criminal record and you violently resist arrest and you're a very large, strong person resisting for 10, 15, 20 minutes, well, that then can explain some things, right? That can, maybe it doesn't justify, you know, I haven't seen the tape. You know, probably it doesn't justify some of the force, but it certainly explains it. And explanation can be, in a way, a kind of justification, just in the sense that, well, if someone is being violent toward you, it's at least somewhat predictable that you're going to do it back um, because you fear for your own life. And I'll just give you a quick story on that front. Uh, You know, this is anecdotal, but I think it's important. You know, when I was 19, I was taking some some classes in a community college in Los Angeles, and the person that I befriended, you know, we used to kind of just joke in the back of the class, was, was a 38-year-old guy, really burly, you know, strong guy. And I asked him at one point, hey, what are you doing in community college? Why are you back in, in university? And he said, well, I was forced to retire, and I asked him why, and, and it turned out he was a, a police officer. Someone had walked up to him and shot him seven times in the chest, point blank, just filled him full of bullets. And luckily they missed his heart, but he had to have emergency surgeries and he he was forced to retire from the force. Now, this this kind of thing happens and it's not on the front page of the New York Times. Police have to deal with extremely violent and often drug-induced violent people. And so if you wonder why do they sometimes shoot people who are running toward them or who are violently resisting arrest, well, try being a police officer for a few days. Uh, I take it it's not as easy as you think it is. So, yeah, the, the fact that the media didn't contextualize the entire video and the video was available, they could have released it. They didn't talk about the coroner's report and the idea that the coroner concluded he died of a drug overdose. And they didn't mention what it's like to actually be a cop how often are cops violently assailed by criminals well that's all directly relevant to this moreover and let me just say one more thing but there's never been any evidence that this was racially motivated so was it an overreaction i'm just going to assume it was you know it probably was you know unjustifiable let's say toward the end there but was it racially motivated? I don't. I haven't heard a single wor- bit of evidence about that, right? In fact, two of the cops involved were Asian and then two were white and the one who had his knee on the neck was white. Were the Asians motivated by racism too? I don't know, maybe they were, but I haven't heard any evidence yet that that's the case.
1: Yeah, look, I have seen the whole video. Yep. Um, I've watched it a few times, mainly because, as you mentioned, no one's reporting it. And maybe I can just, and I'll post the video in the the link of the podcast to this, but I'll briefly attempt to contextualize it as as um, objectively as possible. So what we actually see is, and of course, the New York Times and Washington Post, and all it was all in lockstep again, was the title 8 minutes 46 seconds, right? That was mm-hmm. essentially how how long it took for them to kill him. Now, the video, it turns out, is not, 8 minutes, 46 seconds. It's over 30 minutes. And police approached him, full body cam video. He was in a Mercedes-Benz van, sort of a SUV van. And they attempted to essentially arrest him. Now, he, he resisted arrest for 30 minutes. Right. So and not only did he resist arrest for 30 minutes, he was essentially constantly telling them things like, I can't breathe, you're hurting my arm. And now the police were very gentle with him for the entire time. They're essentially, in terms of, let's talk about objective police brutality, this isn't even on the radar. They spend a good sort of seven minutes getting him towards the car, just trying to walk with him. And then at that point, for the next 20 minutes or 15 minutes, they're trying to get him into the car and he's still resisting arrest. So these policemen are being extremely cautious, almost to the point where one might assume that they knew what they were up against here. Um, And eventually they put him in the car. He says he's claustrophobic, so they get him out. And by the time he's on the ground saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, they've probably said, boy who cries wolf. You've been saying this for the last 20 minutes. We're subduing you now. And that's the reality of what happened. There was a long period of time before that actually took place. But it was, as you said, it was edited, packaged, headlined, and then disseminated in such a way that, again, the, the, the tidal wave of propaganda just belted people in the face yeah and and just to say one more thing on that if we take the floyd as we take the floyd case as a kind of blueprint for this mass media um, sensationalist propaganda i think that we can actually apply that to what they're doing with trump
0: right i mean so sure it's it's actually a lot like the charlottesville comments uh, that that the media has repeated uh, for Trump. So just going back, um, although I didn't watch the George Floyd uh, part of the video that was released because a I don't you know I don't have a stomach for cruelty and I just assume you know what people said is true and, and you know maybe maybe it is, but b I also figured there would be a context because I had seen many of these cases before like Trayvon Martin uh, and and some of these other cases where the media had either deliberately or, or not deliberately omitted crucial details. And so I figured this is probably going to be like that. And as it turns out, it is. I did watch what the British media released. I, I didn't see the knee on the neck part, but just the the context part of the resisting arrest and saying, I can't breathe and so on. And and yeah, that's exactly what I figured probably happened. Um, that that happens a lot. People resist arrest and then... And then this is this is the result in many cases. So so yeah, going back to yeah, this happens with Trump too. You you take a con, a comment out of context, and it's easy to do that for any of us. I mean, you could do that right now with me in this interview. Um, it would be pretty easy to take one out of context and make make me sound terrible. So you remember the the Charlottesville uh, situation where there was an attempt by I guess some people who are sort of more traditional conservatives. They wanted to save a Confederate statue, but then there were also actual neo-Nazis, right? A, a few hundred, you know, neo-Nazi types showed up mixed in with those more traditional conservatives. Then Antifa showed up, which is a violent left-wing group. And then there were some perfectly nice left-wing people who were just there to protest the statue. So it was a real mixed bag of people, some good, some some awful. And remember when Trump was asked by the media about this... They they asked him, well, what's going on? What do you think? And he said, look, there's some very fine people here, but there's also some really awful people, right? There are some neo-Nazis as well. And I don't agree with them. You know, and if you listen to his full interview, it's very clear what he meant is there were very fine people on both sides, some traditional conservatives and liberals who had legitimate arguments about whether the statue should come down or stay up. But then there were the neo-Nazi types and he condemned them very clearly, and, in fact, left wingers who despise Trump, like Andrew Sullivan and Sam Harris, actually just did a podcast, the two of them last week. And they said they, after talking about how much they hated Trump, they said, "Yeah, by the way, this Charlottesville thing is just a lie that the media has repeated over and over again. And it is. And if you ask your average American, what do you think about Trump's comments on Charlottesville and on and on race, most of them still think he mentioned, that the neo-Nazis were, quote, very fine people. It's just a lie. It's absurd. And it's just because they took that phrase out of context and repeated it that they presented it as if that was that's what Trump said and what he meant. So the same thing goes with these these killings. They make them look especially bad out of context. They make them look racially motivated, even when we don't know. Maybe some of them are, but certainly we don't know that about the George Floyd case. So it's it's a great point.
1: So assuming that we are seeing this, um, the similarities here between George Floyd and Trump, not just as a president, but a president that has enormous, enormous support um, on a from a citizen level. And we saw that throughout the beginning of the campaign right through to the end. We saw it throughout the last four years, no matter what he said that was deemed bad bedside manner. He became more popular in many ways, less popular in some for sure, yeah but but people where he became more popular was in people who said, "Look, I would rather have the best doctor in the world that has poor bedside manner than the worst doctor in the world that has great bedside manner." right and the media then realizing that this was the main point of um, of division just honed in on that bad bedside manner. And it's all they reported. Journalism has, journalism in the last four years has become uh, intellectually bankrupt and ethically bankrupt because they've willingly chosen to report on his tweets. Yep. And that's where a large bulk of the mainstream media has focused their journalistic integrity on what he's saying on Twitter So I think that what we're up against now on a much bigger level and for sure George Floyd helped things like George Floyd helped get that mass public opinion to the level where it is now where people believe that Trump single-handedly is hijacking the presidency and won't leave because he's a sore loser, right? Yeah. <laughs> and we're up against now uh, a much greater number than perhaps just believed in the George Floyd narrative. We're up against a much greater number here of people who are believing that this election was a won fairly by Joe Biden, b has zero evidence of any fraud anywhere, not even one piece. And three, Donald Trump is uh, a kind of dictatorial existential threat who is now not leaving the White House on his own terms. So it's a big challenge that we're up against here, isn't it? It sure is.